Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hi, I'm Jo Evans and welcome to Cross Section. The Saturday just gone, the 22nd of April, was Stephen Lawrence Day. The day marks the murder of black British teenager Stephen Lawrence, who was stabbed in a racially motivated attack while waiting for a bus home in Eltham, South London. He was 18 years old. Due to the unrelenting fight for justice of Doreen and Neville Lawrence for their son, the case gained significant media coverage. In 1998, a public inquiry headed by Sir William McPherson examined the original Metropolitan Police Service investigation and concluded that the investigation was incompetent and that the force was institutionally racist the first time this term was ever used to describe the Met. It also recommended the double jeopardy rule was repealed in murder cases. Two of the perpetrators were convicted of murder on the 3rd of January 2012. The other two are still free today. Saturday marked the 30th anniversary of Stephen Lawrence's murder. Today, Alicia Edmund and I are joined by another member of the Evangelical Alliance staff, Reverend Dr. Israel Olifajana. Israel is an ordained Baptist minister and has led multi-ethnic churches. He is the founding director of the Center for Missionaries from the Majority World, an honorary research fellow at the Queen's Foundation for Ecumenical Theological Education in Birmingham, and was on the advisory group on race and theology at the Society for Study of Theology. He is on the Christian Aid Working Group of Black Majority Church Leaders, exploring the intersection of climate justice and racial justice, and he is the director of the One People Commission here at the Evangelical Alliance. Israel, welcome to Cross Section. Thank you very much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here to hang out with you guys. It's super nice to have you with us, and obviously, as I said, Alicia Edmund here, as, as very often, I'd say, I was going to say as always, that's not quite true. Very excitingly, I don't know if you can tell listeners, but the three of us are actually in a room together, which is a real treat. Time is precious. Let's start. Alicia and Israel, I wonder, could you tell us what you remember about the murder of Stephen Lawrence 30 years ago? Alicia, I'm going to start with you. Thank you. Well, I think I'm going to reveal my age in this because in 1993, I was actually six years old. So my experience and encounter, even though I lived in Essex, zone four, miles away from South London, Eltham, where the incident took place, my experience and knowledge of it is actually, at the time, something, it it wasn't apparent, It, it it didn't affect me in a direct way. It was only when I went to secondary school and a lot of my peers that were from South London, from kind of Newham, Tower Hamlets, there, the conversation and the person and the memory of Stephen Lawrence became more real. And so my education really grew in secondary school. So, and I think that's something I've been reflecting on actually, how that conversation, how something so seismic back in 1993, no smartphones, no media coverage in the same way that we have it today. It was word of mouth and locality that kind of shared that experience. And very much remember in my teens having conversations with mum about who is Stephen Lawrence? What happened? Because of course my mum was an adult. So very different experience at the moment of 1993, but definitely evolved in knowledge and understanding throughout my teens and twenties. And Israel? 
I think for me is slightly different and I'm glad to put, you know, our introduction to Stephen Lawrence is different because I think it actually complements each other. So 1993, I was in Nigeria and I can say I'm closer in age to Stephen Lawrence, but I won't give my age away. <laughs> but the thing is this, I came as a missionary to the UK 2004 and I was doing some youth work with some friends and colleagues in Lewisham, in Greenwich, and I remember saying to my sister, I was going to Eltham to see some friends and she was really worried. She was really, I could see the fear on her face, like, why, why are you going to Eltham? And she told me that what had happened about Stephen Lawrence, how he was murdered, the whole story, the injustice. So that was my introduction to the whole Stephen Lawrence story and the process that everything went through in that sense. So for me, it was kind of shocking hearing that and looking at his age and thinking, actually, this is like a contemporary to me. This is like a colleague. This could be me, actually. If I lived in this country, it could be me in that sense. So that, that was the shock for me, just reflecting on that. For myself, I'm also going to be slightly revealing my hand here. I wasn't yet born in 1993, and I actually grew up in the Middle East, moved there when I was just a baby. And my I grew up in a total cultural mixing pot. My church was super multi-ethnic. That was the world I grew up in and wasn't really, don't really think I was aware of what race relations even really meant in the UK until I moved here when I was coming for university in, what year would it have been, 2015. And I think mm. the name Stephen Lawrence, I think it was familiar, but if I'm really honest, it's preparing for this episode, knowing that it was going to be talking about, we were going to be talking about this, hearing about the 30th anniversary. That's really the last couple of weeks that I've been deep diving into documentaries, podcasts, wanting to understand, yeah, what happened. So I think fair to say we're all coming from slightly different places mm, yeah. as we talk about this. What did you think of the coverage of the memorial for Stephen Lawrence on Saturday? It was, like I've mentioned, 30th anniversary. So there was there was a particular memorial for it. What did you make of it? What did you make of the media coverage? I mean, in many ways, it's the 22nd was a busy day in London. I think within five miles, square mile radius, you've got up the road the big one climate environmental protests that are happening. You've got the Stephen Lawrence Memorial Service that was up the road in St. Martin's of the Field, giving some locations for those who are Londoners and know that. And then there were other events that were happening on the day. So I feel that the media coverage was light in comparison, purely because of all the build up to last week's news was around what will Just Stop Oil do or not do at the, the marathon. But the coverage that it did get, I think Sky News covered it. It seemed a very personal engagement. I know of former work colleagues and friends who have worked particularly in kind of South East London, engaging with young people, engaging with kind of improving relationships between ethnic communities and the police, youth violence, all of that, they, they attended. So my social media feed was slightly more prominent than possibly the news coverage on that. So yeah, I'd say it's very personal and, and kind of a light touch in terms of central media mm -hmm. news. I, th I think there could be more coverage about it because the way I see it is this, 
and some other commentators have said this who are friends and colleagues of mine, that I think the, the murder of Stephen Lawrence and the process that we went through in terms of society and church is our George Floyd moment. And when you situate it in that framework, in that thinking, that that was our George Flood moment 30 years ago. And to look at where we are now, we've made some progress, but we still have more work to do. I would have expect more coverage around this, much more bigger. But as Alicia said, I think Saturday was very intense with so many protests, marathons, preparations, other organizations celebrating the anniversaries as well. So th there was sort of so many things going on. Saturday was very intensive in that sense, but I wish we had more coverage in that sense. And I wish we have more church leaders also speaking more about it as well. Mm. But that, that hasn't been the case. So kind of sad, really, that we I think we should have done more. Yeah, it's interesting because depending on how much people have heard about this, people might, the question might come to people's minds. Why Why would we be, as tragic as a murder may be, why are we talking about it 30 years down the line? I think it's interesting you mentioned George Floyd there because actually the BBC, to mark the 30 years, had an, uh, sort of a 10-minute interview between Doreen Lawrence um, Stephen Lawrence's mother and the reporter whose name has left me, but the reporter who was involved around the the initial investigation in the 90s. And Doreen said that that George Floyd had been a moment where everyone had sort of woken up to racial injustice, if you like. And she kind of talked about how that everyone's returned to normal. People have moved on. Mm, yeah feelings that were ignited then. Yeah, people have gotten over it. And that's, I guess that's part of why we're talking about this 30 years on. Why why is Stephen Lawrence so significant, mm -hmm. Israel? I think before 1993, this kind of deaths have been happening in Britain. One that one could mention is Kelso Cochrane in 1959, who, similar to Stephen Lawrence, was murdered on his way home. But... The Stephen Lawrence one is one that we know because it changed public policy and impacted uh, church's response to racial injustice. Uh, I mean, Britain has been having over years different race relation acts from 1965, 1968, 1976. But when you follow the history of these various race relation acts, you realize that when they were first of all enacted, they were so the first one, 1965, was thinking about there could be no racial discrimination in the public space, in the public square. 1968 amended that to talk about, to begin to talk about employers mm -hmm. and what they can do, what they cannot do. 76 fleshed that out more in terms of housing, in terms of education, etc. But police officers were not considered employers. They were seen as office holders. With the death of Stephen Lawrence and the McPherson inquiry and reviews that went up, mm -hmm. the amendment to the Race Relations Acts in 2000 ensured that actually police officers can come under scrutiny as well mm -hmm. in that sense because of that change in institution, because of that change in the framework to say actually police officers can also be 
you know, they, they can be subject to this as well. They're not outside this policy. So it really changed. And then we've talked about the, I think you mentioned the double jeopardy one, that people who have been tried before can be tried again. It, if you have new evidence, you can bring it to court again. There is that. In terms of the church, that led to what we now know as the Racial Justice Sunday that started in 1995 and has continued to today, which simply means that it used to be September, you will have a church service that focuses on racial justice issues. Today, I think we now celebrate it in February. So it's huge when mm. you think about it from society to church, it's huge. I think the, the only thing that I would add to that, and I loved your overarching kind of summary of the different policies and, and legislations that's been impacted by that, but there's something about grief in this in this moment where it's immediate to the Lawrence family that they lost their son. But I think the fact that Doreen Lawrence and the family and, and the husband have for 30 years been journeying with London immediately on this conversation and the nation more broadly around the impact and the disparity between or the broken relationship between an institution, confidence in that, and the issue of race has is the reason why it's sustained for 30 years in yeah. that in that sense. Yeah. And a, a huge homage has to go to Doreen Lawrence that she yeah. has endured publicly her grief and her longing for justice for her son and future generations that the relationship, particularly with the police and young black men and the black community in general, will improve. And so the analogy of an earthquake, it's felt strongly within the epicenter, but the, as it moves out, the magnitude is still felt. And I think that's true as the years have elapsed that many different instances of institutions' failings towards ethnic minorities has mm. continued this mm. conversation going forward. So, yeah. 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 Well, we just had the, the Casey review, mm. which has said 24 years on, it's it's findings is that the Metropolitan Police Service is still institutionally racist. Mm -hmm. I also, as I've been watching all these documentaries and things, I've been struck by other echoes, like the, the time of Stephen Lawrence's murder was a economically difficult time. There's been mentions of every time the country is in economic difficulty, every time poverty is on the rise, racial abuse, racial attacks are also on the rise. Even things like one of the responses of the police after Stephen Lawrence's murder to young black men, particularly in, in the news clip I saw, who were afraid was, well, come and join the police service. And I think we've seen similar things again in some of the Met's recruitment, what's the word I'm looking for? Recruitment drives, yeah. where it's been particularly aimed at non-white people. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's go back to the church a bit more. Yeah. How has the church impacted then and now? It, it seems obvious there were threads of faith throughout this story. In an interview with Sky News, Neville Lawrence said that he met with his minister after Stephen Lawrence's death, and it was actually through he himself was baptised and he was able to forgive the murderers. He said he's, he's not been able to forgive the police. But yeah, talk, talk to me about the impact on the church. So this is very important because I think we cannot remove faith from Doreen Lawrence's experience, just like when 
you can talk about Martin Luther King Jr. in the context of the United States without acknowledging that he was a Baptist minister, whatever policies and civil rights impact that he made. So we have to look at you know, the Lawrence's family. You know, they, they attended a local Methodist church mm. in Woolwich in southeast London. And that's actually a church I'm familiar with through one of my pastorates later in that sense. And so their faith is very key. And so what happened afterwards was that you have churches who were thinking, how do we support Doreen and Neville in this situation? How do we respond? So at that time, us as Evangelical Alliance, we had something called ACA, African and Caribbean Evangelical Alliance. And you have folks like Joel Edwards, mm -hmm. uh, the late Joel Edwards, who later went to lead EA. And also Ron Nathan, who I think is here at that particular time, who were engaging in conversations and supporting and thinking, what should they do? On the other side, in terms of what we now call churches together in Britain and Ireland, used to be called British Council of Churches back then, they were thinking of responding and that's what led to actually, how do we bring this to the heart of the church? How do we bring these issues? Because I think for so long, there is a way churches can be silent on issues around race because it's a difficult subject to broach, it's a difficult subject to address, to talk about. But I think this, some of these conversations really help as parachurch organizations to begin to say, hey, churches, you need to talk about this. Let's see how we can develop framework for you to talk about this, or hence racial justice Sunday to focus one particular Sunday in a year to start doing that. Within the evangelical community, you have ACA talking about it in their meetings and proceedings and going to meetings to meet with politicians, you know, to talk about it and to see what faith response could help in that. But it has to be said that Doreen Lawrence, as a person of faith, as a Christian, faith was very much, I think, a resilience. You know, we have to look at a faith in, in that space. And she, you know, a pastor and the church around us supported that in that sense. So faith is very key to this conversation. I mean, of course, in, in all of that, and just thinking even for some of our listeners who are not in the Southeast or potentially not even in London, this is where we, this is where biblical truths, the gospel, the the person of God and his nature is is one for for justice, for reconciliation, for peace. This is where we apply some of our 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 biblical convictions on this topic that actually the the word of God is also able to bring healing to a community that has either personally lost or has gone through struggles or don't know how to engage in a healthy way with institutions. But also that's pursuit of justice, that it grieves the heart that there are there have been failings within particularly the Metropolitan Police over a 30-year period that has been captured not by faith community, but by people that oversee policy and government. And they're saying that the, you know, the Met Police needs to do better, needs to do more. And I guess as people, as as a Christian, I long for that to be realized in people's lives. I would long for the Metropolitan Police to 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 be an established institution that's one of integrity, that is one of order, that knows how to police well and, and tackle crime, but not put crime against ethnic communities. So I think there's definitely a moment for our faith to engage in this conversation more, more intentionally than whether we're 
within London or the South East. So, yeah. And so if I can just pick more on what Alicia just touched on about, I think for our judges where we are now, we need to ask ourselves, what, what is our theology of racial justice? Mm -hmm. Do we have one? That's, that's the first question. Or do we think that the Bible doesn't actually say anything about mm -hmm. this issue at all? I think you know, the Bible has a lot to say on racial justice. The Bible speaks a lot about reconciliation. Mm -hmm. There are theological themes. You know, creation itself speaks about one human race, but that humanity is expressed in different you know, different skin pigmentation, physical features. Paul was wrestling with this in Acts chapter 17, talking about from one man, God created nations in that sense. Mm -hmm. so, so creation, jubilee in the Old Testament. These are themes that speak to the issues of justice. And mm -hmm. when you think about the Old Testament, actually th there is provisions in the law for people that are marginalized. Bible will always talk about three categories, the fatherless, the widows, and the stranger. And provisions have to be made in the Israelite laws, you know, their agricultural system to make food provisions mm -hmm. for these three categories of people. So for us as a church, if we apply that, it simply means that in our discipleship paradigms, we need to think around racial justice. So in our house groups, can we talk about it? Can we do preaching series and sermons on racial justice, injustice? Can we go beyond just racial justice Sunday, basically? Mm -hmm. yeah. Can we have a holistic approach to it in that sense? So I think that's very important to think about. We're obviously using the word justice a lot and that godly desire to see justice, whilst also we've been talking a bit about forgiveness. I guess what I, I want to ask is, is how do we discern between the call to forgive and show grace. I'm going to keep talking about this documentary that I've been watching because that's, that's been my world for the past couple of days. But when you listen to some of these racist things that some of the, the people that were eventually put in prison for Stephen Lawrence's murder, it's sickening. And and how, how do we obey that call to forgive, that mm. call to be gracious, while still longing and seeking justice and what's what's the difference between the two or or knowing forgiveness doesn't mean we don't need to seek justice these are very these are i mean these are conversations we are having today if i may use the situation in south africa you know during the apartheid situation and desmond to do shared truth and reconciliation afterwards to sort of bring peace to the country. And when you look at the philosophy of someone like Mandela and Desmond Tutu, it centers around forgiveness in that sense, because Desmond Tutu will use words such as, society is not truly uh, healed until the oppressed and the oppressor are healed. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, it simply means that we need to have a holistic framework of looking at healing, that actually, if we're gonna have or society that is whole, that is healed, then we need to work towards uh, a society that is truly integrated. So we will need reconciliation. Reconciliation definitely has forgiveness in that, and that is at the heart of the cross. Uh, mm -hmm. The cross is about forgiveness. But despite that, I think Bible still talks a lot about justice. It talks a lot about the need to make things right. They need to ensure. So I think we need to go on the journey of truth, reconciliation, and justice. 
I think we need those three words. We need to speak truth. We need to speak truth to power. We need to be, speak truth to the situation. We need reconciliation because so that that will help us to integrate society. But we also need justice for those who are hurting. And I suppose maybe this is the way the conversation is different from the church to secular society. Secular society's notion of justice might lend itself to revenge. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, so there, there will be, so justice might look like retributive justice, but for us, it will be restorative justice. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between retributive justice and restorative justice. What the church we will be working towards will be restorative justice that is akin to the New Testament. But I think we definitely need that truth, reconciliation and restorative justice. Ah, oh, so helpful, Israel. Alicia, what do you say to the listener, the Christian, the churchgoer who is listening to this conversation outside of London, they don't live in the jurisdiction of the Met Police, they go to an entirely white or a white majority church. What does this conversation have to do with them? Hmm. Well, I think going back to Israel's earlier conversation of how the murder of Stephen Lawrence impacted society in public policy. This is a conversation that has is showing how the inst- an institution and its relationship with ethnic minorities is fractured. And it, in the immediate, it's between the Metropolitan Police and with the black community in London. But as time has moved on, what's become more apparent is how the health service has a fractured relationship in terms of how it works and relates and supports and provides medical care to ethnic communities. Go read an article this week that I wrote on black maternal health. Similarly, the education system has a fractured relationship with black Caribbean males in particular, where the rate of exclusion is higher and its impact on families is challenging and difficult. The relationship with another part of the criminal justice system in terms of prison has a fractured relationship with ethnic communities. And so for churches that are across the United Kingdom, you will be ministering to and speaking to parts of your congregation that has a touch point with one of those fractured relationships. They didn't receive the healthcare they wanted. They've got a family member that is really struggling in the education system. They've got someone in the family with prison. So Mm. before a church member or a Christian can move towards that advocacy side of it, I think the pastoral awakening that this is impacting Mm. individuals within your church community. And even if you are in a white majority church, communitally where you are, the government's having conversations of there is disparities on social economic ties and ethnic ties across the country that needs to be addressed. So even your outreach work within certain communities needs to be very aware and alert to the racial demographics of your community and how they're impacted by an institution. And your apologetic, your witness is talking about the good news of Jesus that brings that truth reconciliation and justice at a salvation point, but also how you then engage in community. So it's a subject matter that does go beyond London and does impact in terms of how ministries do outreach, how they evangelize, how they pastorally support members of their congregation. 
to to kind of move forward in that in their own lives. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Just it made me think of a really practical note. If you're if you're listening to this and you're suddenly trying to calculate the racial makeup of your church, <laughs> something I've heard which I think is really helpful is look at the the racial makeup of the community which your church is in. Yes. And does your church reflect that? And if it doesn't, it's really important to ask why. Mm-hmm. What what is it about your church the way you do church? that means that it's particularly attracted a certain demographic, I think is helpful. So I'm going to take a deep breath and (laughs) take a moment to talk about where you can keep up to date with all that we do as an advocacy team. We, We sort of had to take a moment before we recorded this podcast and say, we are going to be frustrated at the end of recording we're not going to be able to talk about everything that we want to and you know deal with all the world's problems in the space of 40 minutes but this is something that we had talked about before on cross-section it's something we'll talk about again and it's something that as an advocacy team as the evangelical alliance we talk about you can follow us on twitter at eauk news you can follow us on instagram evangelical alliance you can sign up to our everything advocacy mailing where if you're already signed up to that, you would have received Alicia's article yesterday. You can also get in touch cross.section at eauk.org. What what questions has this raised for you? Whether you feel like it's a stupid or ignorant or whatever it might be question, ask it. We won't name and shame you and we will talk about it. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Joe. So in this world of hybrid working in which we are now in, I decided to work for my local coffee shop this morning. I went in, I ordered a caramel latte and I got to work. But it got me thinking, what else could I get for the price of a coffee? Well, I'm glad that you asked, Jo. For £3 a month, you could become a member of the Evangelical Alliance and truly make a difference to reaching communities with the gospel and strengthening the evangelical voice in government and in policymaking. You'll receive a welcome pack on arrival more valuable than a caramel latte and access to our quarterly membership magazine idea on your doorstep. So to find out more, why not visit eauk.org forward slash join us. Oh, brilliant. Israel, I wonder if I could ask you for a minute about the One People Commission. Could you just tell us a little bit about what that is? So One People Commission continues from where sort of what I mentioned earlier about African and Caribbean Evangelical Alliance sort of ended. ACA ended its work around 2010-11. In one of the Evangelical Alliance council gatherings, there were some senior Black church leaders who challenged EA that EA was too white and it needed to change in its structures, in its board, council, etc. The former general director, Steve Clifford, listened very carefully. And so between 2012, I mean, 2010 and 2012, he went around listening to different black majority church leaders, South Asian leaders, Chinese church leaders, just to hear their experiences of the church in the UK. And so that led to the start of the One People Commission. And since it started, the idea is to bring together, we celebrate diversity 
we love to celebrate the differences that we see in the UK church, whether people are from South Korean background, Chinese, Latin America, we want to celebrate that. But we also hold to unity. So we promote unity whilst celebrating diversity. Our current focus is around unity, integration, and justice. We do a lot of work around racial justice issues. And if people want to sign up to our newsletter, please look us up on the EA website. Thanks, Israel. That's brilliant. And one more question. What is, what is the hope for the One People Commission in the long run? My hope for the One People Commission in the long run is that if we can help evangelical Christians in the UK to value the gift of ethnic and cultural diversity and see the humanity of other brothers and sisters and to be able to incorporate that into our church, I think we will feel very much fulfilled. I'm looking to one day when we won't have One People Commission mm -hmm. again because a lot of churches has cut the vision in that sense. And EA itself is looking like one people commission. Then that day, I think we will cease to exist. Mm. That's brilliant. We're, that's kind of that's kind of the hope for all of the Evangelical Alliance, isn't it? The oh, one day we don't want to have to be here. It definitely in the new creation, none of us will have jobs. <laughs> so it's been 30 years since the death of Stephen Lawrence. What are your hopes going forward? Alicia, can we come to you, you first? What is what is your hope for the, I was going to say 30 years, let's go to the next five. What is your hope for the next five years? I guess, well, what a question. I guess that proverb where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And I feel on this subject matter, on this issue that, I always have to keep coming back to that mindset that my hope, my focus, my vision is Jesus and his kingdom. And on this issue, I truly believe that God's heart for the true peace, for a day where all nations, all languages, all tribes of people, mm -hmm. that heavenly kingdom that we we long for when it when it does return would be somewhat filtered in through everyday existence. And also, that passage talks about hope. If you defer it, you'd be set to engage on this subject without the presence and, and knowledge of Jesus. Is It's a battle. And with him at the focus, it makes it more endurable that his grace sustains, that it keeps the focus that whilst there's setbacks like the Casey Review that is saying very little has taken forward, I have a hope and a belief that through Jesus that all will be changed, all is possible, everything is possible with him. So I guess that's my immediate, I guess if I was being specific, it would be for the Metropolitan Police to fix up and radically reform. There are hard truths in the KC review that they need to engage with. And specifically, I guess that reconciliation piece between the black community in London or ethnic communities in London, because mm -hmm. it does cut across and the Metropolitan Police to be truly restored, where young people, families look upon the police as a trusted ally in dealing with issues of crime and exploitation rather than an enemy would be would be amazing. Is there anything to add to that? Yes, I think what I will add to that is, I think at the moment, British society is going through a kind of a moral reckoning. Mm. You know, we are 
that there is a consciousness that is happening. And even that term itself is very interesting when you use the word consciousness. It means you are resuscitating, you are you are making someone more aware, more alive to something. So we are becoming more conscious of these issues. And so there are incidents that has happened in the last sort of five years, whether you look at the Windrush scandal and also what I'm calling the Windrush letdown because of that, you know, fulfilling the promises that was made during the scandal, the impact of COVID on people of color. Alicia mentioned about health inequalities, Everywhere you look, there is something. Within the police, it is said that Black community are over-policed and under-protected. Mm-hmm. And that is what is leading to that lack of trust. All this, I think, is a catalyst for change. Yeah, And I think we need to process this. I think God, in his infinite wisdom, is giving us a window of opportunity to reflect on this, is to lead to a change, to lead to a Kairos moment. I, I believe so much in renewal and revival, but I believe that for us as Christians, revival might not happen until we see reconciliation. Mm. I think reconciliation leads to renewal, leads to revival. There are a case studies in history to show that. So my hope is that we can experience renewal, revival. But I think where we are at the moment, is that moral awakening, that consciousness that I think will usher us into something better. But we need to journey through that, that moral reckoning, to take stock, to reflect, to think. We need to change. We need to change at the moment. Okay, so I want to ask about that because the Baroness Doreen Lawrence said over the or just before the weekend, black people are never seen as people that should have justice. And we've reflected on this this latest report around um, the Met Police and, and healthcare and all those things. We, as the Evangelical Alliance, as an advocacy team, that is something that we we actively seek to engage with MPs and seek change and seek better laws. Yeah. Again, for the average churchgoer, whatever that might look like. Let's say let's say the average white churchgoer. Yeah. How how do they start to have that conversation? Let, let's say they're not even, they're not, they're not in a church that's exclusively white people, sure. but but the the people of color that they are at church with, they've never heard say these things. For the person that is is having that moral awakening, mm. what are what are those first baby steps that they can do to seek change in their circle, their church? So there are different things that could be recommended. I think. For such a person, I would say to do some studies around race, to to equip themselves, to find out more. So there are some Christian books that, you know, that has been written to help us to reflect around racial justice in that sense. So it could be reading some of those books or some resources. So for example, One People Commission, we put together some recommended resource list, which is on Evangelical Alliance website, which just details some books for people. But for those who are not really inclined into reading, they could work some documentaries on iPlayers, which could be very enlightening, you know, in that sense. So there are some 
documentaries that they could watch around Black communities, some, some to do with health, some to do with the impact of COVID on people of color, just to watch some of those, to begin to get into, what do you call it, to begin to understand mm -hmm. and to be equipped in that sense, in terms of that. But ultimately, I would say, if they can raise a discussion in their church mm -hmm. uh, with their friends at church and just say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about issues of race? What are your thoughts? Ask their pastor, start a conversation. Again, that's another avenue they can take just to ask those simple questions and start to explore what does this mean for mm -hmm. us in that sense. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Israel. Specific documentary, I think the Small Act series by Small McQueen on BBC iPlayer is a helpful one. I guess I think my starting point is even several steps removed from that because it's quite active and I, I'm all about that. But I feel that if your heart is yet to be broken on this issue, then all this advice is meaningless. I feel that that's the starting point, that it's like, Lord, awaken my eyes to the reality that I'm not seeing. And... That's quite a, a bold prayer, but I believe that, you know, a heart that's willing, the Lord will will do that. And he will then lead you what your next step is, whether that's asking someone in your church of their experience of being a person of colour in the UK or watching the documentary or reading something. I feel the Lord will lead more fruitfully and more with greater longevity when your heart is truly broken on this issue rather than it's a short-lived wishful thought that only lasts for a period of time and will alone. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, I every week we update the cross section webpage and I'll make sure to link the APC page of resources that Israel just mentioned. I'll link the documentary that I've been watching, which is on BBC called Stephen, The Murder That Changed the Nation. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll link some other helpful reads and watches on there. Israel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Alicia, a pleasure as always. Whoop, whoop. Cross-section will be back next week. We're having on Gavin Calvert and we'll be talking about the Colin Bloom report amongst other topical issues. So join us then, but for now, goodbye. Hi, it's Peter here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross-section. If you liked it, can I encourage you to click subscribe Review the podcast, share the episode on social media or tell your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And don't forget, you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. See you next time.